Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to Tell Me More Live Storytelling here at the Push Comedy Theater. My name is Brendan Kennedy, and welcome to our Revive episode. All right, so I was uh, speaking to your next storyteller uh, before I was going to bring her on, and I was kind of talking to her about like what you wanted me to, to say before she came up here, and she was telling me that she was thinking about making just a, a trash costume before she came up here, like literally cutting up garbage bags and, and, and making a dress out of it to, to talk about how she felt. And I thought that it was just so ironic because she seems like the complete opposite of that. She is nothing close to a trash bag from what I've gathered from meeting her. She seems like a really wonderful person. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Stacy Murawski. Keep it going. Um, can you all hear me? Closer, closer, closer. Closer, closer. Are we closer? You good? Jessa, is that you? <laughs> um, so bear with me because I'm going to read this. <laughs> one of the most profound statements I've learned in the last two years is this one that I'm going to give you now. Trigger warning. When I was younger, people used to tell me that I was a butterfly. <laughs> what they meant was that I would kind of flutter around and around to different things. I couldn't really pick things. I was just kind of all over the place. And they also would tell me I was beautiful. <laughs> but now... Many years later, I have a different understanding of what that means. What people don't know about me is that I actually spend more time cocooning than I do fluttering. I just make the fluttering look really good. To say that I have experienced some darkness in my life would be a little bit of an understatement. I've experienced a lot of darkness. I just try to make the lightness look prettier. I just don't talk about the darkness. I have experienced it. And the reason it's easier for me to talk about the lightness than the darkness is because I cocoon each time. And I spend the necessary time healing and learning to be myself. I left Norfolk at some point, even though I was extremely happy. And I had everything going for me. And I was doing 26 productions a year. And I was doing film and theater and all the things I ever wanted to do. But I wouldn't love... So I left, and I went to Alaska to marry my high school sweetheart, a fairy tale, in the last frontier. And I was going to build a cabin and make soap. <laughs> and I did all those things. But the fairy tale turned out to be more of a nightmare, and I left. It was a nightmare that almost killed me. 
And I know that in that situation, I probably should have been a little bit more grateful to have my life back, but I wasn't. I was sorrowful. And I thought, why me? You know, why me? Why can't I have love? And I fixated on that for a very long time. And then I decided that I was done with that. And so I moved back to Norfolk. In 2018, I did find out that there was another victim. And I blamed myself because I never, I never sought justice. I didn't even try. I fled, I ran away, and I thought only about myself. And that weighed on me. When I moved back here, I thought, whatever, just leave it behind, squash it, shove it down deep, don't think about it again, ignore it, you can have a new life. And I had friends here, and I thought, I'm just going to get back involved, right? Just like pick everything up as if nothing ever happened to me. I got back involved in film. I got a job with a local theater. I began doing projects, and for a while it was pretty easy to ignore my past. But then in 2019, I went to a social event. And I was really nervous to go. And I was really guarded. And I had made this dress. I was going to bring it, but too much. I'm not ready to deal with that yet. Um, At the start of the night, I felt really uncomfortable. But then I started feeling more and more comfortable. And I started mingling and started feeling myself. But unfortunately, I went to a kitchen in that house and I was talking to people that I thought were my friends. And I was in a room full of people I thought I could trust. And I was sexually assaulted by somebody I thought I could trust. And I froze. And I didn't know what to do or how to process it. And they simply removed me, put me in my car, told me go home. And I did. And the night got worse, and it got worse. And I thought the best thing I could do is do what advice I had, just be quiet. Don't say a word. Don't talk to anybody. So I did that for a little bit. And I did try to confront him. But he was blackout drunk, you know. What did I expect? He couldn't remember a thing. And I told the theater that I was working at because he was working there. And they're like, ah, oh, it didn't involve us. We don't need to do anything about it. And I tried to reach out to people that I trusted, but I was just gaslighted. 
and told that, you know, that's just what he does. And that's theater, you know, that's just part of it. But nobody took me seriously. And although I didn't fully understand what had happened to me exactly, I knew that it was bad because I was feeling bad and I was feeling broken. So by August, I I just needed to kind of release and unburden myself. So I, I did probably the silliest thing I could have done in this situation. I put on a public Facebook post announcing that it had happened. I did not call out anybody, but I did apparently reference enough information so people did figure out who I was speaking about. And then this weird thing happened. People who had been in silence for years started reaching out to me and Victims who never felt that they had a voice started talking. And I found out that there had been another case with him in 2016. I found out that there had been another incident the year before. So all of the feelings of, of guilt and, and shame that I had from the Alaska situation came back up, and I realized, fuck this. I'm done. I don't want to be quiet. I don't want to be quiet anymore. And so I got really loud. Like really, really loud. Like bitchy loud. Like really, really loud. And I thought, you know, fuck you, fuck you. And everybody who told me to be quiet, I was like, nope, I'm going to keep on speaking. Because the people I was speaking for had nothing to do with the situation. The people that I was speaking for were silent. And the more I spoke, the more they felt empowered to deal with their own situation. And I saw people coming to me and asking, what resources are you using? And I was like, I don't, I don't have any resources. I'm just dealing with this the best I can. And that's when I found counseling for myself because I needed it for them. And Everything changed after that. In November, I got a really disturbing phone call from the theater, from the producer, and he was like, no, 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 why are you talking about this? And you're affiliated with the theater, and everybody knows who you're speaking about, and this is making it really difficult for our fundraising endeavors. And I was like, well, I quit. And then in December... I was at my desk at work, and I was like, I can't take it anymore. So I went to a detective's office, and I made an official report. Not once in my life have I ever stood up for myself until that moment. And I spoke with the court advocate and the magistrate and the detective, and that's when I learned how heinous this assault was. It wasn't just like a thing that happened, which is pretty much what I'd been led to believe. This was what happened to me was bad. And I decided that I would testify in court. How I would ever find the strength to do that was beyond me, but I agreed to do it. And they arrested him 
and by March, we went to court. And he was still on payroll at that theater. So I decided I would ask the one question that nobody seemed to ask. As of 11 March 2020, uh, Garney Johnson has pled guilty. Are you going to remove him from theater? I got instead a cease and desist order, order from the lawyer and kind of got silence for a year. And we went to COVID and everybody shut down and everything shut down, which also meant I couldn't protest or be loud or <laughs> do anything about the situation. And I was forced to cocoon again. <laughs> right at the moment, at that moment where I wanted to really be loud. But the weird thing is, the more I focused on myself to keep myself calm, to keep myself from going completely insane, um, I started noticing that my confidence got better and the more I spoke for others, the more empowered I felt. And the more I started realizing that I had not given myself much of a chance anyway to find happiness. And I started giving myself permission to be happy again, the happier I became. I started doing things that I had dreamed about doing. I really engaged myself in art I had never done. I took living historian work very seriously. I found my permanent character. I started writing a three-act play. I started working on a collection that... I had wanted to do 10 years prior. The weird thing about everything is that I had been in such darkness that I couldn't understand how beautiful I was as a person. And I had shamed myself and I had guilted myself and I had been so pre-focused on this concept of justice that I was losing who I was as a person. You know that a butterfly is really beautiful, but it can't see its own wings. So it doesn't know how beautiful it really is. And people can be like that. I was like that. And the beautiful thing about a butterfly is that it does go through so much darkness and emerges such a beautiful creature. So I hope this story is a little bit of proof that you too can go through darkness and come out beautiful.
think that this is something uh, that you might be interested in, go to tellmemorelive.org and you can find out more information about past shows that we've done. You can find out more information about future shows. You can submit a story that you would might want to tell on stage here at The Push. Next month, October, the theme is fear. <laughs> 